0: Hey, Nick, how are you?
1: Good. How are you doing, Um,
0: Scott? So I really appreciate you taking the time to have um, a conversation uh, today. Really looking just to get to know a little bit about about you. Um, And, um, you know, we're focusing on conversations with hiring managers um, to get a sense with the the changing market, you know, what's important, um, what people are looking for. So, Um, If you don't mind, um, do you want to just take a second to tell us a little bit about yourself? um, You know your company and um, anything that you know you would want people to know.
1: Sure. So uh, my name is Nick Fazalia. I've been in IT for half my life and um, been mainly in the Pittsburgh area, but I bounced around quite a bit. And I'm currently working at SAE International. I'm part of the senior leadership team here, and I'm involved in a lot of different aspects. My, my newest mission in life right now is building out our new enterprise data program, including knowledge graphs and data science and machine learning capabilities. So uh, just looking for talent, as usual, always hiring.
0: Were you always into um, technology, like even growing up, or, or what kind of put you in that direction?
1: Uh, total luck. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I grew up on a dairy farm. I, uh, I I bought my first computer when I was in college. <laughs> so, you know, my Uncle Tommy said, Nikki, you want to make money going to computers?
0: So I did. <laughs> That's amazing. What was life like on a dairy farm? Hard. <laughs> yeah? Was it like everything you would imagine up at the crack of dawn? Was it like?
1: Well, if you ask my dad, none of us kids had to work for a living, but... <laughs> yes. And then his dad would say the same thing about him. It's easier every generation, but it was a lot of hard work. Does your family more. still have it? Yeah, we do. We do. Uh, I was just up there. I, I try to get up there as much as I can. Um, it's kind of a little safe haven. There's no cell signal, no Wi-Fi. <laughs> it's just out in the middle of nowhere.
0: Do they still put you to work when you go visit?
1: No, not anymore. I go up there. To, I just help them out now. They're they're retired.
0: gosh <laughs> yeah.
1: So you bought
0: your, yeah. you your first computer in college and it was just a, just wrote a the story from there. A disaster. A disaster. Go on.
1: Yeah. I, I, I turned the computer on and it got on fire. <laughs> I, I paid 200 bucks for it from this guy. I was working with a pizza hut and um, needless to say, I was upset and he fixed it. And, uh, you know, it was, it was my, first awakening into the world of technology because i couldn't figure it out to save my life so i asked I asked him for help when he said rtfm <laughs> what's that <laughs> read the manual <laughs> well thanks a lot so that was my last experience with linux for quite some time because then i went and found out that windows was easier for me to figure out and uh no college was rough i did not keep up with anybody because it I signed up for the first thing. I had the word computer in it, which was applied computer science. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I took typewriting in school. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was a rough journey, but then I got an internship and uh, got some really great mentors. And once, and I didn't understand a thing in school, but once I, once I was at work all day every day and these people showed me what to read and how it worked and took the time out of their lives to teach me, it just clicked. Um, I couldn't get out of school fast enough at that point. I wanted to go right to work and I loved it ever since. And I worked through just about every kind of tech stack there was. And uh, next thing you know, an architect working out in Manhattan on wall street and it was fun. And then I got into leadership and I I had an opportunity for it and it was just trial by fire. It was, uh, (laughs) A lot of critical care applications and accounting, and I made it. <laughs> but I actually found out I like the leadership part more than the tech. Like I, I still love technology, and I, you know, I, I have all the toys and everything. But and I still I'll program every now and then. But I, I actually I get more joy and satisfaction out of solving people problems, running a business, I, and, and dealing with hundreds of people, and Operational efficiencies and the tech stacks to support everybody—you know—it's all about platforms and value streams anymore. It's a different way of thinking, and I just find it much more challenging than building the software ever was, and it, it's it's more fulfilling to me. So that's why I'm here.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, and I would I would guess, uh, you know, because you mentioned earlier that you know you had some some really good mentors. Um, you know, that helped you see the, the value in leadership. I, I've had similar experiences myself where, you know, I never intended to, to, to manage people um, or anything like that. But, you know, I, you know, I had some really good mentors that, that showed me um, that, you know, the value that you can provide to, to individuals. Were there any specific, you know, lessons learned from any mentors over the years that have, have stuck with you as that now that you're mentoring people? Yeah. Uh, I'll give a shout
1: out to Doug Fisher. He told me, and he probably doesn't even remember. It was just something he said off of, <laughs> you know, we're just hanging out the one day and he said the difference between, um, well, he said two things. He said the difference between a good engineer and a great engineer is their ability to debug a problem. <laughs> and he's so, he's right. I mean, you can take anybody that's having a hard time figuring an issue out and somebody who's great at it, I mean, they'll just come in, and ask why five times, and then the next thing you know, it's solved. Um, And then the other thing he taught me, which I really took to heart, was anybody that's exceptional is going to come in the next day and think what they did yesterday was not good. (laughs) if If you're consistently learning and watching what other people do and trying your best, you'll be better every day, and you'll look back and say, man, why did I do it that way? Sure. So it's just always been about chasing after who's the next best person to, to model myself after.
0: Um, you know, and then now you're under the, the pressure to, to be the person that hopefully other people are, are modeling themselves after.
1: Selfishly. I, I really enjoy like book of the month clubs and whiteboarding sessions. And just, I mean, I, the guy that works for me, Craig Tusser, uh, he was a principal back engineer and He wanted to be a manager. He's killing it. I, I have so much fun talking to him and going over what kind of books to read and different ways of managing his team and the things they have to look out for. I I just really enjoy it. It's like, um, I don't know how to describe it, but you're, you're putting your your time and energy into your team and you're watching them become successful and they grow and they're happy and i don't know i just i'm trying the best i can to always be the boss i wish i had
0: <laughs> that is a that is a really great philosophy in terms you mentioned uh you know book of the month and some books are there any books that you'd recommend from uh from a leadership perspective
1: uh it depends who i'm talking to so You know, things change over time, but because I went through computer science, I still still have a strong belief that understanding the concepts are critical in technology. I think with today's tools, especially with AI and Copilot and everything coming out, it's easier for people to get up and running, but you still have to put the time in to understand how things operate and why they operate that way. There's so many different architectural decisions to make. There's so many different design patterns and platforms to think about between DevOps, ML Ops, DevSecOps. You know, are you gonna use microservices in the back end? or are you so small of a startup that you're gonna start with a monolith and then you're going to break it apart over time? Do you need enterprise service buses or, you know, business process modeling, blah, blah, blah. I mean, the decisions go on and on and on. So, for engineers i would say start with the fundamentals Uh, even go back to the gang of four just start learning some design patterns and why certain things are built the way they are because once you understand the concepts of programming itself switching languages isn't that hard you know whether you're going from c-sharp to java to python once you understand the concept of what you're trying to do and how memory works and how performance works with you know multi-threading or multi-processing you know all the little quirks if you're running on a windows server or a linux server so just start with the fundamentals um and just keep you know you got to think of it a lot of us like to play video games i, I think of the, working in it like an rpg <laughs> so uh, the more skills you learn, you know you're level you're leveling up, right? And uh, you know you just know what tools to use based on the problem at hand. And um, there's some great books, you know. Kind of could go on and on, but you know, if I'm when it comes to leadership, like talking to managers and directors and executives, anything written by I, the IT revolution crowd, you know, the people that wrote like the Phoenix Project. Gold. It's all gold. <laughs> it's incredible. What is it focused on? There's a swath of different books. Uh, the most popular one that came about was called The Phoenix Project. And it drew heavily on some books from the 80s called uh, The Goal and Beyond the Goal. And it talks about i don't know how to put it it talks about you know working with a different mentality and it's all about focus flow and joy right so if and, and there's another book called you know, making work visible and you know after the phoenix project there's the unicorn project and then there's another one and another one and all these books they all kind of have the same mantra it's about Everybody talks about agile, right, mm-hmm. and Scrum project management, or you know, using lean approaches and this and that. But very rarely are you going to find any literature that gives you step-by-step instructions on how to try something out. Right? Everything's a framework, and then you figure it out for yourself. Mm-hmm. So, what's cool about these books is the fact that they're written in a first-person point of view. So you're you're going through this journey. In the view of a person that's at a job that so many of us have been in where nothing's working right somebody's a bottleneck you know pressure's on and you know the the main character is just all of a sudden you know there's this person that comes into their life and they're they start pointing them into the direction but they don't tell them what to do they just start getting them to think differently and then throughout the story they start having these um epiphanies. <laughs> and, you know, when you start to think about software, it, you know, it resembles a manufacturing line. You have requirements coming in, they need to be vetted and estimated, and then they get developed and tested and rolled out through production. Well, if you go to another one of their books called From Project to Product, it starts talking about um, value streams and how it's important to look at the entire throughput, the, you know, the, um, your lead times from soup to nuts, right? And you can even extrapolate that beyond IT. How long did it take for somebody in the business to come up with the idea in the first place mm-hmm. through the time it actually got out to the customer? It's not just, IT's just a part, right? And then if you take another one of the books, Team Topologies, it talks about four different types of team structures, uh, and how you have platform teams and value stream teams and facilitators and specialists, and it just gets you thinking differently about all the stuff. Um, you know, working in banks and on um, DoD contracts and stuff like that in the past, everything's always been Gantt charts and products and requirements specs and I mean, even even at some places where we've done quote unquote agile. We still, you know, we didn't have a good relationship with the product owners of the business, and we ended up having everything written in extreme details because it was always a finger-pointing thing, and it quickly turned from collaboration over documentation to just documentation because there's no collaboration anymore. (laughs) So, you know, it's just just neat how all those things come into play, and all those books, are in just like all the all the books for integration patterns and enterprise architecture patterns for the engineers these books are like patterns for leaders Mm -hmm. and ways of solving your particular puzzle and it's really cool because i i've worked at so many different companies they all have problems some a lot of similar problems too but the difference is that every single company is the people, right? So dealing with different personalities and all this stuff, it makes it very complicated how people work together. That's why when you read these use cases, like, oh, well, Google did this and Facebook did that and Spotify did this, that worked with those people at that time. And you can't just say, well, if I do the same thing, it's gonna work here everybody's different. So as leaders, you have to sit there and you have to be mindful about what kind of personalities you have on hand. You know, are they producers? Are they innovators? Are you trying to find people that are specialists in deep knowledge, have deep knowledge on one particular topic? Are you trying to have a T shaped team? Like it's just looking at it, such a big problem and it changes all the time. People quit, people get hired, people get fired. It's just constantly changing and the requirements of running the business. Ironically, it's, there's less of them than there are tickets for software, but they're more complicated.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, you clearly put a lot of thought into, you know, kind of the interpersonal aspects of leadership, of managing a team. How does that relate? To your hiring process, like, are you able to know in a given position the type person that you're going to need, and and how do you try to interview for that? Yeah, so
1: I think I've, I think over the last twenty years, I've I've been involved in well over a thousand interviews and candidates and everything like that across different places, and everybody has a different strategy. And that's the, that's the other weird part too, right? You'd think after all these decades, it'd be pretty straightforward on how to hire the right person, but you know, <laughs> no matter how many interviews you have, it's a first date. Everybody's dressed up. Everybody's got their, their, uh, their best smile put on and he's uh-huh. given a show. And then when you finally get hired and you go into a company, you fast forward to seven years in the marriage. And okay, what's really going on? <laughs> so, um, so it just depends on what you're looking for, right? I mean, i I absolutely love having a good recruiting system in place. Whether if your company can afford it and has their own technical recruiters on hand, and and they're able to handle it, awesome. If not, you have to go to people like yourselves. At OpenArc or or wherever, because you want to focus on your core, right? Our core business is not hiring people. Our core business is delivering value to our customers, delivering solutions to, you know, improve mobility for humankind. My business is not recruiting people across the planet. So I want to invest my money on my core problems, not my context. So... I'd much rather go out to people that specialize in that area and can vet and bring good results and it's a great relationship too because the pressure's on you <laughs> you
0: know and, so our, and our interests money. <laughs> absolutely and our interests are very much aligned like you know we define the people that are going to work out well are going to be successful and um you know i That's why we appreciate working with individuals like yourself, because, you know, when I describe you, I was like, look, Nick doesn't pull any punches. Nick is going to be very upfront and honest of who he's looking for. And, you know, quite honestly, if open arc falls short or if the individual falls short, he's going to let us know how and why. Um, and, and that's hugely beneficial to us because you know I can't pretend that we're always going to be perfect, but we can also very much learn from our mistakes and make sure we do a, a better job next time around. Is there anything you know in particular and it doesn't have to be specifically about openarc um, that you know recruiting firms, staffing firms that you've worked with out of your over the years have have done you know really well um, that, that you're looking for and or things that, You know, you've experiences that you have maybe have not have been so positive that, you know, we could improve on or the industry could improve on in general. So the
1: thing I love the most with any company that's helping out is when there's actual collaboration. Right. And this is where it's different at every company. Some companies you have your internal HR people that want to funnel everything through them to keep track of, you know, what resumes are coming in and this and that. Sometimes you have places where the recruiters work directly with the managers. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's different. But as long as there's collaboration between yourself and the hiring manager, it's like, um, Think of what it's called. It's kind of like you
0: know, the definition. Synergy. That's not my favorite word, but what's that? Synergy. What it? <laughs> synergy, it's not my favorite word. It's very much like a buzzword, but you know, it no, sounds somewhat similar to what you're describing.
1: <laughs> We're gonna synergize e commerce. Wow. <laughs> no, um at the end of the day, the more information I can give you, the better the candidates will be coming back my way. So anybody that just sends a JD and says, hey, get me this person. Yeah, nine times out of 10, they're going to be disappointed in what they get because if that's all you gave without having a context, about, or if you don't have a conversation about the context and what they're Mm -hmm. actually going to be doing because you can only think through so much and put it into writing, there's nuances, right? So, you know, the data program I'm running is essentially a startup within a 100-year-old company so in the interview process, it had to be very straightforward with the, the, the leaders and the, and the senior engineers and data engineers and like, Hey, we're starting from scratch. Right? So you're going to come in and be like, Hey, what do I do? What's going on? I don't know. We're making this up. Knowing <laughs> yeah. that we have to get from here to there. And I made this plan up last weekend. So come <laughs> on in, let's figure this out together. Right? Yeah. So, uh, at the end of the day, um, it's that conversation piece. You, you have to have that feedback mechanism. And the other thing too, in an ideal world, there's a couple of levels between the recruiters and the hiring manager. Like ideally, you'd have some technical people on the inside that are able to vet the candidates because when you turn the switch on, I mean, OpenArc just like, here's 10, here's 20, here's 30. It's like, okay, wait, wait, <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta read through these. And see which ones I want to interview, right? So I've been at places where they invested heavily on the on the recruiting teams, and people would vet those and then pass it on. I don't know because you're not looking at everyone yourself. You don't know if there's any that they passed on that you would have spoken to or this and that. But if everybody trusts each other and everybody's doing their best that they can, then you know it saves a lot of time on on the team. That's you know, writing code and everything like that, because we're reviewing resumes and doing phone screens takes time. Absolutely, but then again, that's that's why you're a leader.
0: Right? It's your job to find well, that, the right. That trust is, is such a key component, right? Like, you know, and that trust comes from, you know, of course, experience working together. Um, but I think the foundation of that is effective communication. Um, so- when you're you're speaking with with Jordan, you know, you need to. What, you need to trust that she understands, you know, what you're describing. And I, you articulated it really well earlier, but there, you know, there are two aspects to it. There is the, the, the technical fit or, or, or matching of the, the requirements, whatever those requirements need to be. Um, and, you know, you even discussed a little bit, you know, you can transition in between certain technologies without too much difficulty if you have yeah. the, the kind of core, you know, understandings. Um, But, you know, really what I what I what I really liked hearing from you was about how, you know, even if this worked at one company, it worked at that one company because of the people in place at that company. Yeah. You know, it's it's about the personality aspects, who that person is, you know, the person that is going to function in, you know, what you describe right now, that startup environment. You know, yeah, you can find someone with the technology, but they might not want to be in an ambiguous environment working on something that was just thought up over the weekend. And if we know that, then we're going to be able to have very honest conversations with the, the individuals that we're talking to and say, hey, it's, you know, you're, you're not going to know what you're doing day to day things are, are going to change because, you know, Nick might determine something else over next weekend and, and you're going to need to figure it out. So you need to be flexible yeah. and be able to, to work with that. And if you can and you like that and that's interesting, that's going to be a match. And if yeah. you can't, It's it's not. And and again, to your to your point, that's why it comes down to that trust and communication that you you effectively communicated that to us. So we're not wasting the time that, you know, you're putting in place, having conversations with people, even if they're a a perfect fit on a resume, are not interested in the environment that that they're going to be working in.
1: There's another book I'll I'll quote for you. It's one of my favorite things is they have this. Saying, you know, when you're going through your accountability chart, you know, what are the roles and responsibilities before you even put names and faces on those boxes? What do you need to run your organization? Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and then it says, once you start putting people in those boxes, it's GWC. Does that person get it? Do they want it? Do they have the capacity to do it? And if it's not three yeses, it's not the yeah. right person. Um and uh, what you said was so spot on being, being receptive to change. I mean, it can be a grind though, right? If, if, if you're, if, if what you're working on gets changed every day and there's no direction, that's a grind. Uh, it's very frustrating to not have direction, but you know, if any new college grads out there that think you're going to come in and just do the same thing nine to five every day, you're wrong. <laughs> it's just, There's no such thing in in software development or operations or anything like that. You do your best to make sure all work is visible and planned out and capacities there, blah, blah, blah. There's always an emergency. There's always unplanned work. And, you know, it's a productivity killer. But I, you know, over 20 years, I've never seen anybody not have that problem.
0: (laughs) And even if the day-to-day isn't going to change, to your point for any, like, recent college graduate coming out, like, the technology is always going to, you know, the the, the technology yeah. you were you were learning when you caught your computer on fire is very different in I think probably every aspect um, to to what you're working on today. Um, and and the technology is out there. Um, yeah. Do you have any? you know kind of tips or or tricks or or things you do because to your point earlier you know anytime you're on an interview it's a first date and you know they're not going to admit that they they snore every night do you have any things that you do to try to get to the 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 real answers the the truth that that you that you need that you need to know um everybody's got a different personality right
1: Mm -hmm. uh, you want to do your best not to just hire people who you think you would be friends with right um because you know you have to make sure you're getting the right skill sets and all that stuff but as a leader you know whether whether you're a first level engineering manager or you know an evp or something you have to make sure that the personality is going to fit in with the team right just like i was saying before. What works for Google was those people, right? So, based on your formula for success and your strategy, make sure you're bringing in the people that you think are going to buy into that vision and help make it happen, right? You obviously have to vet everybody. So, if you're hiring for a back end engineer, front end engineer, yeah, have your seniors and principals and juniors interview them and say yay or nay on the technical skill sets, right? Because you you have to decide if you want to bring somebody in and train them up because they're missing a skill set, but they have the attitude and the aptitude, or if you're bringing somebody in that already has the skills because you don't have the time to wait around and teach them Angular or something. So based on your needs, go after what you gotta get. And if you can find the unicorn that's got all the skills and wants to learn and has the right attitude, you know, snatch them up. Um, and in this day and age, you know, do not, do not wait on giving feedback and scheduling that first phone call is really hooking the fish because if you wait more than a week or two, they're gone. <laughs>
0: that is fantastic, uh, advice, uh, you know, since the, the major changes in the market that we have experienced over the, uh, the past couple of years. Um, you know, it has absolutely accelerated things from a hiring perspective. And uh, you know, you probably, you're probably speaking from experience um, that you know, if, if you really like somebody and you do not move quickly, you know, there's there's every possibility someone else hooks that fish yeah. uh, before yeah. you're yeah, able to land them.
1: Yeah, you got to you got to take the chance, um, trust your gut. But you know, my approach is a little weird when I when I interview people. Five times out of ten, it's a conversation like this mm-hmm. because um, I just want people to know what they're getting into when they're going to come work for me. And like you said earlier, I I don't pull my punches, and I am honest to a fault. <laughs> but, uh, uh, I might
0: swear too much too, but um,
1: not, never I'm guilty
0: of all of those. I'm guilty of, of of all of those things. And yeah, I was I was actually going to say, you know. Uh, from our experience, and then certainly from this conversation, I think one of the things that you do really well in order to get to kind of the a core, true understanding of people is because you're so straightforward, because you're honestly, genuinely communicating that you kind of have people let their guard down um, yeah. for for both good or ill. Honestly, on their end, they might you know yeah. make you aware of something that you know is is, is going to give you an indication that that might not work. Or when you make the decision to, to bring someone on, you can believe it's more genuine because you are able to put them more in a relaxed mood. Um, yeah. And what's nice about being honest and upfront as well is, you know, I don't think it's very common for you at all to have experienced, you know, when people come on board. For them to then say to you, well, this is different than than you described. You describe it very much warts and all, so they can't be surprised when they, uh, when right. they, when they see What's going on? Even if somebody is surprised, you know. At it, least you feel like th- you did your due diligence. Yeah, it, it,
1: it'd be one thing if it was their first day on the job out of school. But anybody that's worked in a company before in IT, it's, come on. <laughs> you know, I've like, you know, told you everything the best I can, but what do you, you think you're going to learn everything that's possibly wrong with a place in what, three, four, or five hours of conversations? Right. You know, you can only fit so much in. So my advice to anybody looking for a job is own the interview because you got nobody to blame but yourself. If you don't have the answers to a question that because you didn't ask it, that's on you. (laughs) You know, I, I have an entire, you know, I have an entire workbook I put together over the years. Anytime I'm interviewing for a company, You know, I do the diligence on them. I have all my questions ready. If they're a startup, I'm going to ask these questions. If they're established, I have these questions. I don't go anywhere without talking to everybody I'm going to work with. (laughs) Because what good is it if I show up on a job and, you know, uh, one of my peers or my boss ends up being a total jerk? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know.
0: Another yeah, that's that's nominal advice. Is you know, and the way I tend to phrase it over the years is, you know, ask all the questions that you know that you need to know in order to make a decision if this opportunity is right for you. Because when an offer is on the table, that offer is going to be on the table whether or not you have all those uh, all those questions answered. And you know, on our end, of course, we'll always try to follow up and and gain those. But there's no substitute to to talking to the direct person that you're going to be working for and getting in your case specifically a very straightforward answer. Um, My other piece of advice while we're advising candidates is don't BS your way through questions. Um, (laughs) So it is much better to simply answer, I don't know, um, than to try to pretend, you know, to someone like yourself that you understand something that you do not, because you're going to have no problem sniffing that out and you're not going to want to hire somebody that is going to be doing that to you on the day-to-day you would much rather them tell you they don't know and ask for for mentorship i i will say i i thought
1: i, I figured i was on to something with the way i was interviewing people because when i would ask questions like that if if i picked up on something that somebody didn't know i would take the time and explain it to them right then and there and why why i was even asking the question and this and that then the next thing you know people that i didn't even hire started asking me on linkedin if i would talk to them more and recommend things for them to read and stuff like that yeah sure (laughs) yeah maybe next time you'll you'll have what you need you know And, and i thought that was really cool because you know one of the best questions i've ever heard somebody ask at the end of the interview is while you're making up your mind is there anything you think i should be studying and researching regardless of the outcome of this process because i really value your opinion on the direction i'm taking in my career and i was like wow you know that's that's really something to think about you know how would you answer that if, if a candidate asks you what they should be you know what are their weaknesses that you want them to focus on regardless mm-hmm. of hiring them
0: like, what do you say <laughs> so, yeah you know. and it's you know that's a, that's a good indication you know at a minimum that someone's coachable that they yeah. they 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 want to learn you know that's to right. use the cliche like Someone, someone who who knows everything already, whether they whether they do or not, is is going to be, you know, they better be correct because they're going to be a challenge to mentor to get it to do it the way you might want it done. Uh, if if somebody always uh, knows yeah. better, so um, yeah, but, yeah.
1: but as as a leader, your job's not to tell them what to do, or how, your job's not to tell them how to do it you got to trust them to make up their own mind and give you the best results. And if you're not getting the results, you train them, you talk to them, you work with them, you mold them. But you know, there's, two, there's two kinds of leaders out there, right? When, when things go wrong, you got people that hop in and do it because they know how to do it better. And you got people that trust their team. And if the problem is the team itself, they fix that problem. Right.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I'm very much the latter. <laughs>
0: Were you always that way? I, for, for me, I definitely had to go through a transition uh, to not just hop in and do, um, because I came from an individual kind of contributor set of circumstances. So it took some time for me to be like, no, okay, you go ahead. Here, here's here's my advice. Let's try it again. Let, let, let's get you there. That was a struggle for me personally. Ironically,
1: I did not have that problem. Um, my... <laughs> my sisters, my mother, my aunts, my cousins are all elementary teachers. <laughs> and I just, I grew up around people, especially my mother would sit there and not play dumb, but ask questions like, really, what do you think about this? You know, <laughs> because they're trying mm-hmm. to get you to think it through yourself. So I just kind of naturally picked up on it where I might know how I would do it, but for whatever reason, it just, you know, flows out of my mouth. Like, Oh, you could do this. Did you think about that? Mm -hmm. Could it might work? It might not work. I was just curious if you thought about it. And when you ask people to do something, they respond ten times better than if you tell them to just do it, right? So if you always say like, "Hey, could you do me a favor? I know we're having a problem over here. Has anybody looked into this solution? I saw this, and you can play and you can play it down. I saw this on an article last night. You know, may or may not be worth looking into, but you get that little seed." growing in their thought process. And if you're right, great. If you're wrong, great. Because either way, do something. It's better than nothing. And that's the other problem that leaders have too in interview process is they overanalyze everything. Yeah. At some point, you can't sit there and say, well, I like these 15 candidates. No, you have to pick. <laughs> you know? Yeah, indecision is worse than making the wrong decision.
0: Yeah, so, and it's, I mean, th- that, even 15, like that's a ton, you're gonna, that's a lot of candidates to interview. That's a lot of candidates to, to go through a yeah. process with. And, and to your point, you know, number one or two, you know, candidate that you interviewed might've been the best for it, but by the time you get through all 15, the likelihood of, be gone. <laughs> the likelihood of them being available. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Hey, I, I really appreciate uh, your time. I've really um, enjoyed the conversation. I want to be cognizant of your time because I know we're, we're yeah, running no up. Worries. Um, is there, you know, kind of any other piece of advice that you'd offer for, you know any of the the audiences that we've discussed today—candidates, hiring managers, staffing firms like OpenArc. You know any kind of key thing you would want to—you know—if you could put your your Nick spin out into the market writ large, what would what would it be? So I'll,
1: I'll pull up Michael Scott and quote somebody else. Perfect. <laughs> so whether whether I'm talking to um, you know. A, a global council executives or a college student, or even my hairstylist, <laughs> you get what you expect and you deserve what you tolerate. It's that simple. I love
0: that. I love that. All right, Nick, Well, again, thank you uh, so much uh, for your time here. Yeah. No yeah. No, that, that was just the outro. Goodbye. <laughs> oh, that cough was in there.
1: We're still.